following program is a production of the Barroom Network. It is intended for all audiences. Doug Buffoon. This defense sucks. This is moronic. John Buffoon. Your best run plays are coming off end arounds. There's a problem. Doug was behind the microphone first. He never held back. Very difficult to score when your offense is on the bench. When your defense is out there giving up 70, 80, 70, 64-yard drives. Now, it's his nephew, John. And there's no holding this buffoon back either. The biggest thing that affected Justin Fields was a coaching change. And now he has an offensive coordinator, and he actually will fit a scheme to the quarterback. Something we have not seen in a long time. I've had it! I have had it! I want somebody to get kicked in the ass! When I see Twitter polls and national media and fans weighing in on who is going to have the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft, and I see people commenting, Chicago, and it's not even close, then yeah, you know what? I'm going to get a little defensive. I got my ass whipped many times, but I tell you, I took somebody down with me. I don't think the Bears are a two to three win team. So to answer your question, no. The Bears aren't going to be the worst team in the NFL. It's Buffon 55, the John Buffon Show. Welcome to another edition of Buffone 55, a fast-paced approach at breaking down those lovable Chicago Bears. I'm John Buffone, and with me as always is my co-host and producer, Alyssa Barbieri. Alyssa, the Bears are 2-2, two and two and they're coming off a game that was frustrating, and then it was boring, and then it was frustrating again. <laughs> How are you feeling coming off that Giants loss? I mean, frustrating and boring, or those are the two adjectives I would use to describe it, and I mean, that's just not the game that you would want to watch as a football fan. I mean, in a lot of ways, it even felt more frustrating than the Packers game, like that loss, because yeah. they should have beaten the Giants. It was just ridiculous. And you sit back, you're like, man, I just spent three and a half hours watching that game. Oh, man, that was brutal. How many people do you think watched that game that weren't Giants or Bears games? Honestly, like, do you think there were any? With all the games that were on, if you have NFL Sunday ticket or your streaming games or whatever it is, how many people, unless you're a complete degenerate and you're betting on the under or you're betting on, you know, some of these prop bets or whatever, how many people really watched that game? Because it was just blah. I found myself as an invested Bears fan thinking, oh my God, this game sucks. <laughs> but, but, you know, you, you got to watch it. Yeah, I think maybe they tuned in in the beginning and then they're like, no, I'm out. Like, I mean, this is not worth my time. And I mean, if we didn't cover this team, I mean, would we watch? No, no, probably, probably not. But <laughs> it is what it is. It's a new week. There's new hope, kind of. I'm going to try to be positive with this. Uh, Alyssa, we got a great guest joining us tonight to help us better understand the Kirk Cousin-led Vikings. But just in case, this is your first time listening to Buffone 55, where you've been the last six years, by the way. Can you give us a rundown of how this show works? Of course. So Buffone 55 has three segments and we always begin with our guest. And this week we'll be talking to Arif Hassan from Pro Football Network. That's followed by our B55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions and his responses must be completed within 55 seconds. The 55 is John's way of paying tribute to the great Doug Buffone, his uncle, his mentor, 
and a man who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. We then finish things up with a free-for-all that we call Buffon's Basement, where Aldo Gandia joins John and me, and the three of us have a little Bears therapy session, and there's plenty to discuss. So, John, take it away. Thank you, Alyssa. As you said, our guest is Arif Hassan, friend of the show from Pro, Pro Football Network. Arif, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for being on. Appreciate you. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's let's uh, let's jump into this because the, this is a division game. Uh, two teams that both have new regimes in place, and so I, I need to know off the bat uh, what's the temperature in Minnesota as far as what the fans are thinking and what the media thinks, and just the overall feeling about how the uh, the new regime is in place and how the how the Vikings are at to this point of the season. Yeah, I, I feel like, um, you know, I'm talking to, uh, to to somebody who just lost their house about how I just lost my job, right? Like, it's, <laughs> it's two different things, but it is frustrating in Minnesota. People are frustrated. I mean, obviously, the Vikings have a winning record, the three and one. I think there's a really good sense that, you know, maybe they're, they're, they're not really a three and one team in, in spirit, right? Like, it's, it's, dif- or it's difficult to really get a sense that the Vikings kind of deserve you know, the wins that they have They're uh, I think I tweeted out they're two, one in moral losses, right? Um, they, 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 they beat the Packers pretty fair and square. Lucky to get them in week one when the Packers evidently are still in preseason mode uh, and have been for the last couple of years. And then uh, they kind of got away with one against uh, the lions. They kind of got away with one against uh, a saints team. that didn't have their starting quarterback, wide receiver, running back, uh, left guard uh, <laughs> and starting safety. Um, I'm sure I'm missing one there too. Um, but, you know, a, a shorthanded Saints team, uh, you know, on the road in a neutral uh, atmosphere in London. And so, you know, there's there's a sense that this team, uh, you know, has a lot of potential that it hasn't reached yet. Uh, there's a sense that there's a lot of things that this team needs to fix. And uh, there's an understanding that, you know, they, they were able to develop a little bit of a cushion to be able to fix those things. But there's not really a lot of confidence that despite being, you know, three and one in a league full of two and two teams for some reason, uh, that they won't really make the playoffs. Now, what is the uh, and uh, on top of all that, the new coach? What's your analysis of Kevin O'Connell as opposed to Zim last year? What What are some of the uh, similarities, if there are any, or some of the contrast uh, <laughs> with with this team? Yeah, I, I, it, it's good to ask if there are any yeah. similarities. Uh, well, they both have had some work to do in terms of game management and clock management. So I guess I guess there's that. But um, I mean, Zimmer is uh, at the at the moment, if you were to compare the two, probably a better X's and O's guy, much better at uh, determining where players need to be, both on offense and defense and kind of how to best enable um, those players to, to fit uh, within kind of what the schemes demand them to do, what their talent allows them to do. Right. Uh, you know, the Vikings defense has fallen off pretty significantly, which is, I, I think, a, a pretty concerning statement given that they finished something like 27th last year in points allowed. Um, but, you know, they, they've been able to tighten up in the second halves of, of, of the last three games. So it really feels like, you know, the defense is falling apart, even though statistically it, it really isn't the case. Um, in terms of the way that they coach, obviously Zimmer is much more hard-nosed. Kevin O'Connell is much more, uh, you know, players coach oriented, I guess, is, is one way to put it. It's not quite, you know, up to the Dan Campbell levels of, of, of being a cheerleader for the players and always kind of being in their side. But, you know, there's a level of collaboration and respect that comes from the way Kevin O'Connell coaches and that's kind of being expressed 
in terms of the way that the, that the players interact with each other and interact on the field. And so that is a pretty big difference. Also being an offensive head coach is a pretty big difference. You kind of see that in the attitude of the team and the way the team prepares and what the team is doing. It's much more modern in its approach. And uh, some of that, you know, that modernism has helped, you know, they're, they're significantly less injured. They're one of the least injured teams in the league right now. And I think a lot of that has to do um, with the fact that they plucked, uh, you know, one of the sports science guys from the Rams and, and installed him as kind of the head of that, that group. And despite a three and one start, you know, it's been a bit of an uneven start for the offense. And I'm curious, what's been your evaluation of Kirk Cousins so far in this new scheme? Yeah, I think um, so far, um, you know, this is this is the worst that Cousins has played since his first year in Minnesota uh, in 2018, John DiFilippo, um, which is unusual, right? You know, you bring in an offensive head coach that just kind of, you know, coordinated um, some some really great offenses for a Super Bowl winning team. Los Angeles, and they just haven't gotten on the same page despite having worked together before. Um, Cousins is kind of missing some reads. He's uh, he he's not as accurate as before. I don't want to say he's inaccurate, right? He's always been an accurate quarterback, and um, you know you compare him to quarterbacks around the league, he'd still you'd still call him accurate, but he's not where he was um, last year or two years ago. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot more to unlock. And I'm reasonably confident that that'll happen. I mean, he's a very diligent person. Uh, and so trying to uncover all the differences between, you know, last year's offense and the timing in that offense and this year's offense and kind of all of the the mechanics and, and the nuances there, um, that will come probably well before uh, the end of the season. I would imagine, you know, at least halfway through the season. And at that point, I think that the offense is really going to take off. But he's really missing a lot of open players. Um, and it's something he's kicking himself for. He's talked about this a couple of times. Uh, and, and it's something that is pretty evident both on the broadcast and on the All-22. Now, sticking with the offense, now the Bears have one of the worst run defenses in the NFL, which is not encouraging uh, with Dalvin Cook on deck. But the Vikings have seem, seemed to be a bit pass happy in certain situations. How much do you expect Minnesota to actually lean on Cook or Madison? And what are, I guess, uh, is, is Cook still dealing with any lingering injury of, that, of, of any nature? Yeah, uh, Dalvin Cook does have uh, that shoulder injury that's going to keep bothering him probably for most of the season. Um, it's 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 part of uh, an issue that he's been having for the past couple of years. I believe it's the same shoulder he injured um, the last two years. It's kind of a, a labrum injury. I know that he's not on the injury report, which means that he was essentially a full participant. He's not dealing with anything, but um, it's going to limit him for some time. Uh, and uh, and anytime Dalvin Cook has been injured, his production has dropped off a little bit, even when he's been healthy enough to you know play, right? Whether it's you know because his explosion is decreased because of an ankle injury, or he has to hold the ball differently because of a shoulder injury, um, that has dropped off a little bit. But I, I do think that they will want to lean on Cook uh, in this game. I mean, we we've seen uh, in the past what the Rams have done in situations where. Um, you know, there've been a lot of opportunities in the run game and, uh, and they've leaned on their running backs. I expect the Vikings under Kevin O'Connell to do something similar, especially because they do have high regard for Alexander Madison and his ability to be a consistent running back and take advantage uh, of some of the holes that might open up. I mean, the Vikings have been pretty poor in the running game, uh, thus far, uh, at least, uh, you know, compared to, you know, what they could be doing, what they've done historically. Uh, and Kevin O'Connell has, has brought this up of his own accord unprompted you know, that this is something that they want to focus on and fix. Uh, and uh, and he's talked about a couple of times about how, you know, he loves throwing the ball. He's a former quarterback. He knows that passing is more efficient than running, but he does want to run the ball more. And, and he's talked about that a couple of times too. So we'll, we'll probably see a, a bigger share of, of running back usage in this game than we typically see. 
And the Bears could be without top cornerback Jalen Johnson for the third straight game, which isn't good news when Justin Jefferson is coming. Uh, so I'm curious if there is anything that Chicago can do to limit his impact. And can you give us a quick rundown of the rest of the Vikings receiving court? Yeah, sure. Um, Justin Jefferson has been limited in two of the four games this year by uh, opposing defenses, the Eagles and the Lions. What they did is they paired a high-level, healthy cornerback. Unfortunately, that was part of the equation um, with uh, with a pair of double or, or triple teams. And sometimes they're pretty creative uses of, of triple teams, having a lurking safety over some of his uh, more favored routes, and always having an additional eye on him to kind of see where he's going. A lot of times, it would end up just being a double team. But in many ways, some of his most effective routes were were covered up by multiple players. And so um, when you take a look at what the Eagles did, what the Lions did, um, you know, sometimes by the time, you know, the ball gets to Jefferson, there are three defenders around him. Uh, and so in those games, he had 46 and 14 yards, I want to say something along those lines. Um, but in games where that wasn't happening, he got 184 and 147. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of all or nothing. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, well, I'm looking I, good. I, was say, I, I can I can. Probably guess which one this will be, but yeah, go, he's, go on. Yeah. Yeah. He's not he's not bad at, at receiver. Um, so when he doesn't receive uh, a significant amount of attention for opposing defenses, he'll go off for a century, right? So um, there's that concern. The other issue, and, and this is one reason that I think Cousins has not been playing very well, is that the rest of the receiving core is extremely good. Like, Al, uh, you know, Adam Thielen may not be the person he was three years ago, but I, I think that he's better than most wide receiver twos around the league. He's a very good player. KJ Osborne is as good as a receiver two. In fact, I projected him uh, in some circumstances to potentially beat out Thielen and yardage. I think both of them are very good receivers, uh, one, two, and three. Uh, after, after that, it's not a particularly great um, receiving group. You know, Jalen Rager is probably wide receiver four. Everyone's kind of familiar with you know, the fact that he's not lived up to expectations in Philadelphia, the whole reason he was traded. But, um, you know, Osborne and Thielen um, do have the capability to play uh, any of the roles asked of them on the offense. You'll probably see Osborne in the slot a little bit more often, even though Thielen is a little bit better of a slot player. Um, Osborne probably has the most speed out of the two of them. He'll be able to contest deep. None of them are, are four or three guys or anything like that, but they do have the ability to win deep. And so you'll probably see some combination of deep, intermediate and short routes from the three of them. Uh, and and one way that that Cousins was able to to come back against the Lions was after seeing another triple team on Jefferson, he started feeding KJ Osborne and Adam Thielen in the second half, uh, and they went off. They were they were really huge uh, parts of that win. Um, and that adjustment is going to be how the Vikings beat most of the ways that people will want to contain Jefferson because it's just going to be um, extremely difficult to you know contain all three elements of that receiving core. Uh, after that, there's not much. Dalvin Cook is, I'm going to say, overrated as a receiving back. He's fine. Fans probably think that he's better just because of his build and his speed, but you know his hands aren't all there. Um, Irv Smith has been kind of a disappointment at tight end. Um, his drop rate's higher than it's ever been. If he fixes that up, he'll be a, a reasonable threat. Uh, and then the rest of the tight end group is mostly blockers. So uh, you really just have to watch out for those three guys. I wanted to ask you about Irv Smith because it seemed like this was a guy that maybe was going to be an emphasis. I don't know if it was hype or if it was actually thought of that they were going to really use the tight end this year. The I've heard people say, let Irv swerve. I don't know what the hell that means. Maybe, maybe it's the whole left. I, I don't love thing. that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just, don't shoot the messenger. But, uh, I, but was this, was this a guy that Vikings fans or the Vikings uh, organization had high hopes for this year? Uh, and maybe they're just kind of falling short. 
Yeah, I, I think that there's a combination of the two things. I think that the Vikings were legitimately excited about what he could bring, what element of the offense that he could kind of change. Uh, and then also, you know, he's been absent for a little bit and, you know, he was about to break out and then he didn't. So he was about to hit his breakout season. So a bunch of people got pretty hyped up about him. Um, I will say, you know, his drop problems are primarily the reason that he is not performing at a really high level. And he had thumb surgery right before the season. I have to imagine these are related. Um, his, his drop issues never appeared as a, as a big problem before for him. He seemed to have, um, for a tight end, about average or even a little bit better than average hands. So um, it wasn't a concern until this year. So, you know, at some point, you know, when when things are fully healed or he kind of readjusts to the shape of his hands or however that process works, um, you know, he'll – I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, he'll, he'll probably improve his catching technique and, and he'll be, um, exciting again. The, the role that he typically plays is that he's a pretty good inline blocker, which I think a lot of people were surprised by me included, uh, and a, a really good, uh, seam runner. He ran like a four, four, six, four, some crazy 40 yard dash for a tight end. Um, he's not a great route runner, but he's a great seam runner. And so they'll put him on wheel routes or, or stretch seams. And he's a great complement to the rest of the receiving core because he's got the ability um, to punish defenses that, that, that try to, you know, overcorrect and, and cover short routes. So that was the intended role is to send him downfield. Um, you know, not necessarily to be a red zone threat, like a, like a classic tight end, but to have him, you know, change and alter the shape of defenses and, and, and create new mismatches. I don't know that that's happening right now, but I think that they're probably going to try to experiment with that likelihood, um, you know, going forward until it, it, it clearly is not going to work. And Minnesota has given up just seven sacks on Kirk Cousins through four games, which is among the best in the league. And I'm curious, what's your take on this offensive line uh, so far this season? And are there any weaknesses that the Bears can attack? Uh, that's actually one area where I think that Cousins has uh, improved pretty substantially. He's, he's been a lot worse in a lot of areas, but this is one area where he's been a lot better. Um, the pressure percentage is about average. You know, if you just take a look at the amount of pressures he's seen, it's the pressure to sack conversion that I think it's like among the best in the league, which has never been true, you know, for Cousins. He's never, he's never been awful at it, but he's, he's never been among the best at avoiding sacks when pressure arrives. And the Eagles sent tons of pressure. Uh, the Lions sent tons of pressure. They both blitzed at over a 40% rate against him. Uh, and so he got hit a lot. Um, but he was able to get rid of the ball quickly. Now, against the Eagles, sometimes they did turn into interceptions. So, you know, maybe probably could have taken the sack a couple of times. But uh, in terms of, you know, the way that they've avoided sacks, it's not because the offensive line has done a remarkable job. And, you know, this is probably the best offensive line the Vikings have had in a decade, which is not saying very much at all. Um, but it, it's it's uh, it, it's still liable to give up pressure in one on one scenarios. It's still not great at picking up blitzes. It's really more about Cousins being able to avoid those sacks. And I expect that that you know some of that's variance. I expect that some of that is probably going to um, decrease unless the offensive line improves. That said, I think that um, you know right tackle Brian O'Neill. He's been playing at a high level. He always plays at a high level. Frankly, he's played at a high level. Um, he's played at a higher level before, so he, there's actually more for him to unlock here. Um, but Christian Derisaw is playing really, really well. He's had some really good games against some really high-level players. Um, it's really that interior. Ezra Cleveland is about average as a guard, so he'll get beat by, by some pretty good defensive tackles. Garrett Bradbury is playing the best football of his life and he's still a pretty bad center. So I don't like, uh, I don't really yeah, know what to like, do with is that. Is that a compliment? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, man. Like it's, I hope, I, I hope he's, happy i guess i don't know but, <laughs> but yeah but you know it's uh it, he's giving up a lot of interior pressure i think his pff grade is good for once but i 
based on what I'm seeing, it's not um, particularly a great play. And then rookie Ed Ingram is getting outclassed pretty consistently. I don't know if he's a bad player or if he's just a rookie um, that's just try, trying to get his feet, uh, you know, under him. But either way, right now the product on the field um, is is really poor guard play. So that's really the issue, and it's also kind of one of the reasons the run game is not um, as exciting as it usually is. Line issues. I can't relate to that. Don't know, <laughs> don't, don't know a damn thing about that. Uh, let's 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 switch over to the defense now because the only thing working for the Bears offensively is the run game. And with Luke Getze's penchant for running the ball, can we expect uh, a big game from Khalil Herbert? Assuming that David Montgomery is not going to win return, but will there be opportunities for the Bears to run the ball in this game? A penchant for running the ball seems like an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> we like to doll things up a little bit. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, the Vikings, um, run defense has been a little bit suspect. I, I think that they will probably change their approach for this particular game just because, you know, running the ball seems to be, uh, the, the, the order of the day, right? So we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we know what it is. The Vikings base defense only puts two off ball linebackers on the field. I would not be shocked if that changed. Um, but it's it's usually a five defensive line to um, you know, two linebacker look, but we could see that change just because of how often the Bears run the ball. Um, it has been an issue because the whole point of the defensive scheme is to sell out against the pass. And, you know, that will allow them to allow a gap or two um to be essentially unblocked until the safeties come down from up high. Um, to defend against the run, which is always going to give uh, you know a couple of extra yards, unless it's the same defensive scheme that the Rams run, it's the same defensive scheme that the um, Broncos run, but both of them have much better interior defensive players um, up front. Like, I mean, if you've got Aaron Donald, you can run whatever defensive scheme you want. You're going to end up doing a pretty good job, and that's not what the Vikings have. They've got two good run-defending interior defensive linemen, but not enough to cover for an entire additional gap that's lost in the game, which is how you know that defense is designed but i think that that's probably just going to change for this game just because of how often the bears run and you know how often the bears create an extra gap with with read option type stuff so um i i think that all of that is going to i mean if they don't the vikings can't run over someone asked me the other day like hey wh what is the scenario where the bears win the game against the vikings and is it going to clear herbert runs for 200 yards it, that's how it happens right so um i I wouldn't be shocked to see some big runs come up as a result of this. I mean, the Vikings just haven't, you know, nailed all of the um, the defense down together and run defense has been pretty suspect for a while. So um, yeah, it's, it's really just, you know, players like Jordan Hicks, players like Zadarius Smith, who's really good pass rusher, just not a very good run defender. You know, they're getting blown out of their gaps. Plus the defensive design just allows some additional runs to come up. And as I'm sure you and the rest of the NFL world know, the Bears have the absolute worst passing game in the NFL. They have, they're not even averaging 100 passing yards per game, which is just ridiculous. But, you know, hey, no better time than the present to maybe finally open things up. So I'm curious, are there going to be opportunities for Chicago, assuming Luke Getze try to call some more passes? Or is there going to be opportunities for Chicago to find success against this Vikings secondary? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, the the secondary has been relatively porous. I think the talent level of all of those players is is actually pretty good. I mean, Cameron Dancer's playing some really high level football. Um, Patrick Peterson, you know, isn't who he was, but he's still a very talented player. Uh, Harrison Smith, you know, assuming that uh, he wasn't on the injury report, so it looks like he'll play. Um, Harrison Smith is Harrison Smith, and Cameron Bynum won the job outright 
against uh, a first round pick at safety, Lewis Seen, who, you know, won't be playing because of the, the brutal injury that he suffered in London. But, you know, Cameron Bynum is legitimately a, a starting quality safety. So these are good players, but um, they're adaptation to this defense has not been going very smoothly. There's been a lot of miscommunications. There's been a lot of problems with uh, zone handoffs. The style of the defense is not really um, up to, to par yet. I think that, that Donatel just wasn't able to install what he wanted to install with enough time to teach everybody what he needed to teach for this defense to run. Uh, and so there have always been um, some pretty big open opportunities for opposing offenses. Now they don't always, you know, take advantage of them. I mean, like Aaron Rodgers, you know, um, after Christian Watson dropped that pass at the the beginning of the game, Aaron Rodgers just never went back to him. But, you know, you look back at the tape and Christian Watson was open a ton of times. Just Rodgers had to trust that throw and he didn't. Um, the same thing kind of happened against the Eagles, except Jalen Hurts actually pulled the trigger. AJ Brown, Devontae Smith ran all over them. Right. And so there are a lot of opportunities. The thing is, um, a lot of these opportunities are are being created because opposing offensive coordinators seeing some sort of mismatch that they like, whether it's, you know, putting a super athlete up against Patrick Peterson, who's no longer a super athlete or creating rub routes and complex routes for Cameron dancers con consistently been kind of out of place on those miscommunications, whatever it is, they find a matchup based off of the talent level of their athletes and make sure that they can, they can win that out. If I'm going to be frank, I don't know that the bears have that at receiver. Right. And so mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we, we don't technically yeah. know. There hasn't been a whole lot of attempts. But yeah, yeah, as of right yeah. now, I would say no. Yeah, um, I, I would I would say, you know, attack the Vikings with speed, but the two fastest receivers, I think, have like a total of two snaps for the Bears, right? Because it's former Viking Amir Smith-Marset and then like AARP member Valus Jones. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he got on the field last week. But he goes on the field. <laughs> But I mean, I mean, le legitimately, I think this would be a good time for for the Bears to to see what they can do with with some of the faster receivers because that um, that mismatch against Peterson um, could be a big problem, especially because they do have Peterson cover um, deep zones uh, on an island sometimes, and you know he's just not fast enough to do some of that stuff. So that's where those opportunities are. Um, they can be pretty simple reads, you know, if uh, if Fields pulls the trigger really quickly on them, he's obviously he's got a great arm. So um, you know, when that happens, you know, I think that there's going to be big plays available i just don't know if the if the bears um you know want to right you know that's part of it uh, i don't know if the bears uh can create simple enough reads for for fields to do I, I thought fields was actually pretty good at reading the field last year so i don't really know what's going on this year but no. uh <laughs> yeah fair enough um but uh or or you know if those throws can be accurate or, or what have you but i think that there are opportunities there it's just it, it, given the nature of the personnel in the bears it just it might be difficult to find them uh, you, you spoke about some of the things in the secondary and former, uh, you know, defensive backs coach Ed Donatel for the Bears. He was a secondary coach for the Bears, now the defensive coordinator for the Vikings. I want to take uh, a, a user question here from the chat room from J2K. How do you feel about Ed Donatel as the defensive coordinator uh, for the Vikings? Is this a guy that you can see being a stalwart there or is he on thin ice already? <laughs> Uh, somewhere in between the two. I think that, you know, four games in, it's kind of difficult to tell, but he certainly has not revolutionized the Vikings defense. Um, like I said, there are a lot of opportunities available in the passing game and the running game is not that great. So like, what is he hanging his hat on right now? It's not very much. Um, I will say though, uh, in the second halves of games, the Vikings have tightened up their defense considerably. So there, there is 
you know, you could make the argument that he's doing a very good job of, of, of mid-game adjustments. And you can kind of see it in the way that the defenses have changed at halftime. For example, they didn't blitz Jalen Hurts once in the first half, even though that's kind of how the Detroit Lions were able to, to slow him down. At the same time, um, you know, the Vikings in the second half blitzed him five times. He went one for five on those blitz attempts. So, um, you know, they, they were, they, they've changed their approach at halftime. It's been helpful, but honestly, I think a lot of the halftime adjustments, they've been a little bit lucky things like, uh, forcing fumbles on special teams, things like, um, you know, blocking punts, blocking kicks, you know, things that are just not going to repeat themselves, um, you know, game after game after game have all come in the second half. That's not because Donatel did an adjustment that allowed the special teams to block a field goal or anything like that. That's just kind of some luck. Uh, and so I, I think that there is, there's something there. The style of defense is very popular in the NFL now for a really good reason, because, you know, the passing game is really important. Um, but it, the defense is not complex enough or it is not being taught in a way that allows for complex enough rulemaking to really account for all situations. And so it can be attacked pretty easily. Um, the, this defense is just not very good. I think Donatello is part of the reason why it's also kind of difficult to move on from somebody like Mike Zimmer, a defensive genius. Uh, and so, you know, here in Vikings land, you know, the concept of what a good defense looks like is, you know, that they've been spoiled for a long time. And so that's, that's kind of part of it too. Um, I think that, you know, after this year, I don't think that they should have any discussion about firing him. I think they should give him another year, but that is probably when you're going to have a really big discussion about whether or not he can continue being the defense coordinator going forward. Cause right now, you know, it's not working. And let's, let's talk about that defensive line a little bit because Justin Fields was sacked six times against the giants last week. And now the bears are down Cody Whitehair. So it's going to be a hodgepodge once again on the offensive line. Uh, pass protection has been an issue all year. For the Chicago Bears, is that going to continue this week against the Vikings? Yeah, the Vikings pass rush numbers aren't very good, but they do have some very good players. It's just kind of um, the the problem for me actually has more to do with the way the secondary is performing than the way the pass rush itself is performing. The quarterbacks are just getting rid of the ball too quickly for it to be logged as a pressure. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that's Darius Smith in particular. Um, has done a really good job getting to getting to the to the passer. Um, he's done a really great job winning in his one on ones. Daniel Hunter is helping create those one on ones. He himself is not generating a ton of pressure or a ton of sacks, but he is moving offensive linemen and blockers around to help enable other people. Um, and so that is creating some pressure. The Vikings are kind of winning off the snap a little bit. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson is, like I said, he's more of a run stuffer than a pass rusher. But you know, when he is up against like a backup guard, you know, I've, I've noticed this kind of consistently about him. He suddenly turns into Fletcher Cox. It's wild how good he becomes. With like, like as soon as a guard hits some level of talent, he just becomes a run stuffer only. But below that level of talent, he's a really excellent pass rusher. And it sounds like, you know, we we might be able to see what that looks like here. Um, so, um, so there is the possibility of interior pressure, but you know, primarily it's it's really that pressure has come when that when that coverage has held up. Um, Justin Fields likes to hold on to the ball on, on the occasions that he does have a drop back. And so um, the pressure is probably going to arrive because they do win off the snap. It's just that quarterbacks have been getting rid of the ball quickly. Now, if they don't have a quarterback that's getting rid of the ball quickly, Justin Fields is probably going to take some sacks. Mm -hmm. Going to be a rough day for Justin Fields on Sunday. <laughs> Um, so we always get a kick out of talking about opponents, special teams, you know, we, that's just, you know, what we do. Sure. Uh, can you give us a quick profile of the Viking special teams and any players that we should keep our eye on? Yeah, this is, uh, I don't usually say this about Viking special teams. This is a good unit. This is like the best special teams unit I've seen from them in years. Uh, um, uh, 
you know, Greg Joseph is nailing nearly every kick. I guess he missed an extra point, which is like a very Vikings thing to do. But I guess everyone's missing extra points now, right? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's that. But he's like nailing 50 and even 60 yarders. Like he's he's playing the best football. And, and he was like cut from two other teams before. He's a backup kicker. So he's playing some really excellent football. Ryan Wright is the rookie punter um, that they kept over, over veteran Jordan Berry. Um, he has been doing a phenomenal job. He's right now he's playing as like a top five punter, um, which is like, so you talk about special teams a lot. I also kind of like to investigate uh, two of the top five punters in the NFL are in the division. The other one's Jack Fox with Detroit. It's very weird, but, <laughs> and they like never punt. I, what's going on, but <laughs> yeah. special team powerhouse in the North. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but, but Ryan Wright is playing extremely well. He's done a really good job uh, finding ways to, to pin the ball at the five. Um, and even even occasionally at the two, um, he's great at directional punting. He's really good at hang time. Um, their kickoff coverage is phenomenal. They have the best uh, opponent starting field position following kickoffs. Um, part of that has to do with the fact that they force kickoff returns by kicking it to the two, and their coverage team is is just very comfortable, you know, dealing with that kind of coverage. And so they've been holding people to the fifteen, to the eighteen, to the twenty, not letting them get to the twenty-five. Um, so there's been some really good special teams play. Um, like I said, they have blocked a field goal. They have blocked a punt. They have, um, forced fumbles on special teams multiple times. Um, so they're, they're playing at a really high level and it's a bunch of different players. So in terms of special teamers, there's not one individual player that's, that's playing out of his mind or anything like that. It's a bunch of players. I, I, I guess Chris Boyd has been playing really well. Um, he's the one that forced a fumble against, um, against the saints on special teams. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not used to talking about the Vikings special teams as if it's an asset, but you know, there you are. You're really giving me a lot of positivity here going into Sunday. <laughs> hey, uh, it, when the Vikings have been favored by seven, they do famously terribly. So, okay. Also we, that. Okay. We can, we can hang on to that. Yeah. Uh, before, before I ask you about the, uh, what your prediction for the game is, I do want to ask you about the GM because that was a point of emphasis in the off season about was Ryan Poles going to go to the Vikings or did he, did he kind of stiff arm the Vikings and go to the bears and, uh, and the Vikings land on, and I hope I get his name right. Quezzi Adolfo Mensa uh, as the, as the GM, um, what is the, what are the early returns on him or the early thoughts around him? Uh, is he more the analytics guy than maybe the the you know hands on scout guy? What what do you what is the early feeling about the new Vikings GM? Yeah, he's a nerd. Uh, he's a, <laughs> he's a huge. <laughs> no, he's, it's popular well, nowadays. I mean, no, yeah, yeah, no. He um he uh he comes from like a finance background. He went to like Princeton and study like economics. Goes into the finance industry for a while. Decides he wants to. Uh, learn about football and he works his way up from the bottom in uh, in a front office um, and has been um, part of like three very analytics heavy organizations. Uh, he's been part of the Browns, uh, the 49ers and the Eagles. Um, so this is it's just what he's steeped in. He doesn't have a ton of scouting background. He didn't you know, play football. He played. He was the he was a bench warmer for the Princeton basketball team. So, you know, he's got that going for him. But, um, you know, for the most part, it's you know, he's relying on um, the football acumen of the people around him. He brought in Ryan Grigson specifically um, because, you know, he sees that as a deficiency of his own, uh, you know, skill set. And so he wants to, he wants to bolster it, which, you know, it's, it's good to recognize those sorts of things. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that the decisions that he, so the goal or the vision that he had set for himself for the season is not one that I initially agreed with. I didn't like the idea of attempting to, refresh the bottom of the roster while still maintaining um, a playoff window. Cause I, I just thought the Vikings should have blown things up. Um, you know, 
there's only so much you can do with a Kirk Cousins, right? Um, and so, you know, I thought, you know, you blow it up, right? Uh, they didn't do that. They tried to 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 walk that tightrope. But in terms of executing that vision, he has done, I think, a really great job in terms of, you know, finding, you know, undervalued players in free agency or in the draft, in, um, you know, manipulating the cap in some way and creating creative contracts, uh, in finding players that um, have one particular skill set, which means that they won't, you know, be, be paid a lot in free agency, but it's the skill set that the Vikings need, um, shedding bad contracts. Like in terms of the decisions that he's made as a general manager, I thought that he's done a really good job. Um, and he hasn't really fallen into too many of the traps that you might expect um, some analytics front offices, like the early days of the Browns, where they made a bunch of really weird, poor decisions that were clearly driven by, you know, an over-reliance on analytics. So, um, you know, he's doing a pretty good job of kind of integrating all these viewpoints and trying to figure out what the team needs by talking to the football people and then trying to see what tools he has available to him to try and and resolve those needs. So. Um, I, I like what he's done so far. There's always a risk that he can kind of get into his bag a little bit too much. I've seen that with every analytics organization. Um, but, you know, some of them bounce back. Really, like the Eagles, for example, bounce back, have bounced back really well from that. Um, so uh, he, it seems like he's on the right path. Obviously, year one, really difficult to tell. Um, my understanding also, um, and this is like the shadow of a rumor. This is not me reporting. Um, but my understanding is that one of the reasons that Ryan Poles may have preferred the Bears is because um, the Vikings might have wanted uh, – to extend the playoff window and, and it sounded like Ryan Poles just wanted to have um, a little bit more control over what was happening. Um, so, we, I, you know, he certainly has the flexibility going in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and well, and to, I mean, to that point, if that was the motivation, uh, I'm sure that he wouldn't have loved being, you know, s- you know, stuck to Kirk cousins, not to say that Kirk cousins, isn't a, a capable quarterback, but uh, as right. far as being stuck with that contract or uh, not, maybe there's not as much, and I don't, I'm not familiar with the cap situation in Minnesota, but I don't know how many contracts are up top. I don't know if it's pretty yeah. top heavy as far as kicking the can down the road. Like we saw it's, it's a very game. inflexible roster. Kirk Cousins is only one of the reasons why. It's a very inflexible roster um, for cap reasons, guaranteed contract reasons, things like that. So, um, yeah, a lot more freedom of movement. The Maybe that's why yeah. you have to extend the playoff window because it, it could. Yeah, yeah that, yeah, that could be entirely the reason why. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get down to brass tacks. The, I believe the Vikings are seven point favorites as of right now, as of this recording. What is your prediction for the game? And be honest, because we'll know if you're lying. <laughs> Brutally honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I don't think it's going to be a very high scoring game. There have not been very many of those around the NFL uh, this year. Uh, scoring is down pretty significantly and the Vikings are just not consistent. Um, so uh, I'm going to take the Vikings to, to, to beat that. I'm going to say 2010 Vikings. I, I do think that um, the bears will find a way to, to generate a touchdown. I think that they'll find a way to, to add some additional points, whether that's, you know, a safety or field goal or whatever, right? They'll, they'll find a way to add on to a touchdown. So it's not going to be a clean sweep or anything, but I do think that the Vikings have scored enough points to beat the spread. And I lied. We do have one more question that just slipped in under. All right. the, uh, it's from the right. uh, user. Uh, the Vikings just signed Kyrie's Tonga, Bears favorite. It was Tonga time until it wasn't. <laughs> uh, is, he a good, is he a good fit for what the Vikings are trying to do? Tonga obviously uh, fit better in with that 3-4 that the Bears played last yeah. year. Uh, and then they, they I believe, moved him to the practice squad. And then he was uh, they moved off into the Vikings. So what's uh, any, any idea about what Tonga brings to the Vikings? He's immediately the biggest player on the roster. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, yeah. You might as well have one of those, right? Um, I mean, the Vikings don't have a backup nose tackle. Um, In in some senses, you know, if Harrison Phillips were to go down, 
Um, Dalvin Tomlinson would, in theory, be able to play nose tackle. He's done it in the past. He's very capable, but the Vikings would much rather have him play, you know, as a 3-4 defensive end. Um, their nose tackle situation involves a couple of 290-pound players. Uh, and as you can imagine, part of the reason that the Vikings run defense falls off is because they have to rotate those defensive linemen, and you bring in a 290-pound nose tackle, and, and the dude just gets blown up. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I love James Lynch, uh, but he was an edge rusher at Baylor and he's a nose tackle. Now uh, it is, it is a very odd situation. I don't think it's a very good fit for him. Um, it just, it, you, these things happen as a product of circumstance sometimes. Um, yeah, Tonga is a great fit for both what the Vikings need and, uh, within the scheme as a, as a three, four nose tackle, they've been doing a little bit of two gapping in this system. And so, um, you know, he's got the capability to do that and, and help stuff the run. So yeah, I, I think it was a good move by the Vikings. And give all those precious Chicago bear secrets. I'm sure that they were. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's just going the down intel, the list. The yeah. intel was the, the, the most valuable part of that. All <laughs> yeah. of those treasured secrets that the bears keep so close to the vest of how they're able to pull off. The pull off. Uh, Not that you guys need any help. <laughs> right. Uh, Arif, before we get you out of here, can you uh, let our audience know how they can interact with you on social media, read your stuff and uh, all that good stuff? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Arifasan NFL. Um, as little Chiron says, I write now for Pro Football Network. You can find me at profootballnetwork.com uh, slash author slash a Hassan. Um, I'm also on two different podcasts. I'm on the Minnesota uh, Football Party, which is on the Minnesota Sports uh, Locked On Sports Network. And then I'm also on Norse Code with my friend James. I've been running that one for a decade. That one's a little bit looser. I, I enjoy doing that one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's where you, I don't have any other social media besides Twitter. Um, hoping, hoping to cut down on Twitter, but that's just not happening. But at least, at least I don't have like Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. God, we, I think we are all vying to slice our social media yeah. at some point, <laughs> if possible. But, uh, Arifasan, a friend of the show, thank you so much for coming back on. We always love talking Vikings with you. And like I tell all of our guests, we'll talk to you down the road inevitably when the Bears and the Vikings meet in the NFC Championship game. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back with more Buffon 55 right after this. Sundays at the bar. We start off with Mike North and Aldo Gandia on the early bear special. And then it's five Bears fanatics on the Barfly Tailgate Show. That's followed by fantasy football advice from two fantasy football experts. And at halftime and after every Bears game, it's Bear Football. Subscribe to the Barroom Network now. Welcome back to Buffone 55. Now it's time for our B55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions and his response must be completed within 55 seconds. The 55 is John's tribute to the great Doug Buffone, his uncle who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. So we're just four games in, but John, do you still have the energy for this? I guess. I mean, after hearing a reef talk about how, how, promising some of the Vikings positions are I, I'm not feeling that great but you know what we, we, we must carry on we're still uh early in the season we're entering with the second quarter of the season let's let's make a go of it oh okay here we go so John <laughs> like we talked about earlier the game against the Giants was frustrating there was plenty to be upset about but if it's possible can you tell us what was the most frustrating thing for you good luck getting this answer in under 55 seconds 
Uh, you nailed it. There was plenty to be frustrated about, but I guess if I had to gather all that frustration together and force it into one funnel, it would be that nothing seemed to take a step forward in that game. I, I know it's a rebuild year and there are going to be bad spots, but this is a game that you circle and think that the Bears can win. The offense didn't look any better. They couldn't get in the end zone. The pass protection was still bad. Justin Fields was unable to get anything going. And then the defense just got run all over by Saquon Barkley. And at one point, the Giants didn't have a functioning quarterback and they were still moving the football. All of that to say, I know the Bears weren't going to be world beaters this year, but I thought they had enough in the tank to be Giants beaters. And they fell flat on offense, defense, and special teams. There wasn't anything to take away from this game that would make a fan say, yeah, we lost, but X, Y, and Z looked really good. It was a disappointment across the board. From the final score to the performance on the field, it was just deflating. Yeah, I'm right there with you because when you we kind of looked at the schedule before the season and you try to circle wins, which is a little silly because you don't know how teams are going to shake out, but the Giants were definitely one of those wins that I had circled. And even heading into this game, the Bears and Giants were like identical teams. Yeah. They had the same struggles, and the Giants were the ones that actually took advantage. The Bears just kind of just – just collapse. I mean, it was it was embarrassing. I mean, you expect to lose to the Packers, right? And I mean, that game they didn't even get blown out. Um, but when you lose to the Giants, and in that way, like you said, all phases, there was no progress. It's one of those games where you're gonna look back and be like, they should have had that one. But at the same time, keeping things in perspective, we're looking for a high draft pick. Maybe that's one of those games. That ultimately helps them with a better draft selection. We're, we're Here I am about, already talking yeah, about the offseason. Week five, we're already talking about draft positions. And I, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't look at some mock drafts already. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. barely in October, and we're, we're talking about draft position and mock drafts and all that good stuff. But I think I don't think we're alone. I think a lot of Bears fans are doing that right now. Yeah, absolutely. But, oof, and, man, that was a boring game. Oof. Oh, yeah. So both sides of the ball, actually all three <laughs> looked shaky last yeah. Sunday. You know, there were some bad defensive miscues and the offense couldn't get the ball in the end zone. So if you had to assign more blame to one side of the ball, are you putting it on the offense or the defense? 55 seconds or on the clock? Well, I guess special teams could have been considered for this after that Bayless Jones fumble, but Michael Badgley, who was signed off the street the day before the game, accounted for all the Bears' points, uh, and his reward was getting cut, by the way, and I'm guessing he knew that going into the game, but still, poor guy. Uh, but back to your question. As bad as the defense looked at times, I have to say this is on the offense. You have to score more than 12 points in an NFL game in 2022. Even though the defense couldn't get off the field in some pivotal moments, it's not like the Giants scored 45 points. They scored 20, and the Bears managed just four field goals. I get the whole the defense is supposed to be the strength of this team aspect, but listen, six teams scored less than 20 points in week four. Guess what? All six of them lost. You have to find ways to put points on the board. More importantly, you have to find ways to get the ball in the end zone. You aren't going to win many 12 to 10 games in the NFL anymore. It's just not structured like that. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, the fact that the defense had such a bad performance and they still held them to 20 points and kept the offense in it until the end. I mean, this this falls on the offense, like you said, going 0 for 3 in the red zone, which was shocking considering that they, uh, before that game, the first three weeks, the Bears had the fifth best red zone offense in the NFL. And it's just kind of like what went wrong against the Giants. And you can't do that. That was a game where they, they can't afford that. You need to take advantage of those opportunities. So, I mean, yeah, the defense, there was especially that run defense, obviously, 
they have a lot to clean up as well, but the offense, and I mean, this is nothing new to us, Sean. I mean, this has been our entire Bears uh, fan experience is watching bad offenses, but I mean, this offense just, I mean, is it worse than Matt Nagy's? Is it fair to like wonder that at this point? Let's not go crazy yet. Let's let's take a holistic (laughs) approach and then we can kind of, there's a lot of of nuance to this, but but you're right (laughs) in 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 the sense that we've always, even when the Bears had, phenomenal defenses and you know in 2018 it was still pretty good in 2019 and and the years prior they 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 were pretty good defenses but we held them to such a high standard because the we knew the offense was not going to score that many points so it was a disappointment if the if the opposition scored 23 26 points it's just like oh the defense played so poorly well in today's nfl 23 and 26 points isn't exactly a ton of points being scored. It's just that the Bears can't routinely score that many either. So it's it, we we put a lot of emphasis on the defensive failings, even though the Giants scored 20 points. 20 points. That should you should be in that game. You should be able to win that game. Uh, and it's just it just has not happened throughout the years where you have an offense that is sustainably putting up 20 or more points. It just doesn't happen yet. I mean, looking at the defense, it could be worse. You could be the Lions giving up like 30 points a game. But at the same time, they do have an offense scoring 30 (laughs) points a game. Lions scored 45 points and lost. So, I mean, that's today's That That's where the game's at now. Absolutely. Uh, Well, again, the performance of Justin Fields has become a hot debate for media and Bears Twitter. Fields went an uninspiring 11 for 22 for 174 yards with no touchdowns and no interceptions. But it's been a rough season, to say the least, for this Bears passing game. But moving forward, what is your biggest concern for Justin Fields? You have 55 seconds. Well, I honestly think my biggest fear personally is that this developmental year does more harm than good. I still have a lot of confidence and hope for Justin Fields. I know the pass protection isn't good, and we know the weapons aren't good. So I don't think we can have a fully developed opinion on Justin Fields until at least next season. That being said, I am afraid he's going to get gun shy this year. I am afraid he's going to be quick to jump out of the pocket, even if it's clean because he's used to running for his life. I'm concerned that he will start hesitating throws because guys aren't getting separation. I'm a little concerned he'll be quick to tuck and run because he's used to getting pressure in under two seconds. So at the end of the day, I'm not worried about just Justin Fields not completely elevating his game in 2022. I'm also a bit concerned that 2022 could be detrimental to his development. So if and when Ryan Poles does surround him with talent, it's going to be a little too late or at least not as good as it could have been. Yeah, you and I are on the same wavelength tonight because that's my biggest concern is his development moving forward. And we kind of, even before the season, you sit back and you see how Ryan Poles didn't go out and sign any big-name offensive linemen or or receivers. And it's kind of like, okay, this is a season where it's not like a make-or-break year for him. But at the same time, he's a young, developing quarterback in a pivotal second season. And you just kind of see the toll that it's taking on him just four games into the season. And you start because it's obvious, as it should be, probably for a head coach, that Matt Eberflus is prioritizing winning football games rather than Justin Fields' development. You know, whether that's, you know, one of the downsides of bringing in a defensive head coach, but, you know, especially because this season shouldn't be considered a, a win now. This isn't a season where you should be winning. You know, this is a season to be developing the young talent on your roster, namely quarterback Justin Fields. So, I mean, that's my biggest concern is his development. 
And like you said, this season could end up being a detriment because, you know, like Arif had mentioned, like he saw like fields last year. He didn't look as bad as he did now. Uh, And some of the things that he's doing and you're wondering just, oh, my goodness, how much damage are they doing to fields at this point? And again, we're only four games into the season. Yeah, and listen, I understood the mentality of Ryan Poles did not want to come out of the gate spending a ton of money on mid-range free agents because I think that he wanted to create this team the way he wanted to create it, and what he had to do was shed as much money as possible eat this year where you still have a ton of dead cap, whether it's your, I mean, they're still paying Jimmy Graham. They're still paying Andy Dalton. They're still paying Nick Foles. They're still paying Danny Trevathan. Like all of the, all that money is still allocated to guys that aren't even on the team. And, and so this was always going to be that rough year where you put up with the dead cap and then you have a ton of flexibility next year, whether it be through the draft or through free agency, but you you're also hoping that doesn't come at the expense of hurting your developmental quarterback that you have either. So it's, it's a tough situation for the GM who clearly has a game plan, but you're hoping that one of the side effects or the, one of the, the symptoms of that is, Oh no, we're setting our first round quarterback back a year. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's just, it, tough situation all around it's frustrating all around and i'm sure i'm sure the front office is is angry and i'm sure that everyone's frustrated because this is not exactly what they probably saw but it is what it is yeah and you wonder like how much of that has to do with to the fact that obviously they want justin fields to be the franchise guy but they don't necessarily have ties to him they didn't draft him they didn't draft him so they can move on from him when they want to and go um go and draft another quarterback whoever they see fit so I mean, but it is a rough situation, like you said, because you understand the approach that Poles is taking. But at the same time, when it comes time to the season and you see Justin Field just getting the crap beat out of him back there mm-hmm. and having no one besides Darnell Mooney to throw to, and you're just kind of seeing him question everything, and you see that the, he has no confidence back there, and it's really jarring to watch that happen. So, I mean, it, it's rough. You want This is one of those seasons where you kind of just want Justin Fields to – to make it through alive and hope that you can kind of hopefully it's not detrimental to his long-term success. Right. And, and I understand that, that they, if they, they're not beholden to him, they didn't draft him, but what I've, what I've always been saying, I've been saying this for two years is I, I want the bears to stop putting band-aids on things. And so having to keep drafting in, in order to make up for other mistakes. So if they, if they have a really top if they have a high draft pick next year, I don't want them to have to spend it on a quarterback. I don't want them to have to try to fix a mistake. I don't want to have another sign of Jimmy Graham because Adam Shaheen didn't work or dra- you know, draft a, a Cole Komet because the tight end didn't work out. I don't want to have to go out and get a big free agent because the Kevin White didn't work out or go and get Robert Quinn because Leonard Floyd didn't work out. I want to be able to actually address positions of need on the team rather than trying to fix a position that you already screwed up. So I, I really hope that they're able to make Justin Fields work. And I still have a lot, I have, I have a lot of confidence in his ability and his demeanor and his, in his skill set. So um, I, I just, let's just hope that it, this year doesn't get any worse. Yeah. I mean, it's what, four, 14 starts into his career, 15, whatever. I mean, like it's not a big concern, but you do look at the long term. but you know, another young player who's been coming under fire is rookie cornerback, Kyler Gordon. Mm. And it's not pretty. According to pro football focus, Gordon has allowed 19 catches on 24 targets for 326 yards through four games. So John, is this just a case of Gordon getting used to the NFL game 
or is this a real cause for concern? 55 seconds are on the clock. Well, he is coming under some fire, and I think a lot of it has to do with fans saying, hey, we could have drafted George Pickens or some other wide receiver here. So I think it's kind of funny that even the offensive struggles are playing into this scenario as well. Uh, But you mentioned his catch target stat, and I think a large number of those catches are coming whenever he's in the slot. And I know they want to be able to move Gordon around and have him playing both on the outside and in the slot. But the NFL game is hard to learn, and I'm sure it's even harder to learn all the tricks and tips on the outside and in the slot. So maybe the Bears are just asking too much of him right now as a rookie. Maybe they just keep him on the outside, let him perfect that, and then if you want to tinker with it and see what you've got in his flexibility, go for it. I still have high hopes for the kid. He has shown his athleticism on some plays. He's only four games into his career. Let's allow him to at least have a season before we decide whether or not he's a bust. But I know some fans were expecting more given his draft position. Yeah, definitely. And like you mentioned, we're again on the same wavelength. I mean, I think that they're asking a little too much from him. They need to stick him to one position, kind of going back to, I think it was mini camp or OTA's defensive coordinator, Alan Williams said that they were going to start him out on the outside because they didn't want to put too much on his plate. And then it kind of seemed like things really sped up in training camp where they were moving him inside and outside. And it kind of seems like they could be rushing this. And this is where like Matt Eberflus and, you wonder about him developing young talent. You don't want to put too much on his plate, ease him into it. So, hey, maybe you start him on the outside, like solely on the outside in the beginning of the season and then kind of ease him into playing both roles, you know? So, because it just kind of seems like he's overwhelmed right now. Sure. And obviously every team as they should, are, it's picking on him. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to stop. And that's definitely going to continue. And then you obviously there's the, the issue of Jalen Johnson probably missing a third straight game don't have a lot of options anyways. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a brutal start for him, but again, early on to his career, I'm not, not losing hope, but I mean, I think that the bears can do a lot to help him and to maybe take some stuff off of his plate. Once again, very young player, four games into his career, a lot of pressure on him. Let's, let's pump the brake. I know it's tough to pump the brakes, but I just patience is tough. I get it. (laughs) Trust me. I get it. (laughs) Especially because when Jalen Johnson came into the league as a rookie, oh, yeah. he kind yeah. of like thrived right off the bat. So that's not going to happen for every player. So we have to keep that in mind and we need to be patient with Kyler. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Okay. So, John, we're going to finish with this. Most fans assume that this was a rebuilding year for the Bears. However, some are frustrated enough that they are questioning the direction of this very young regime in Chicago. So, John, where do you stand on this rebuilding year? No clock for this one. Let it out. Well, it's tough. Anytime you have a real rebuild year, you try to temper your expectations because you basically know your team likely isn't competing for a playoff spot, let alone a championship. But once the season starts, it's hard to hold back that emotion. You wait seven to eight months for the season to start. The anticipation builds up and your friends that are fans of other teams are excited. And then your team plays poorly. And while you tried to mentally prepare yourself for that, it's still incredibly frustrating because football season only comes around once a year and it's hard to convince yourself that everything's going to be better in 2023. And when people preach patience, 
I understand that's not an easy ask. Look what patience has gotten Bears fans the last 37 years. So yeah, I think some of the frustration is understandable. And Danny Shimon made a really good point on Bear football after the game. He asked if we would still be as frustrated if the Bears were losing every game, but Justin Fields was throwing for 250 yards with two touchdowns and maybe two or three interceptions. I can honestly say, I wouldn't be as upset. So maybe the frustration isn't fully coming from the losses, but more about how they are losing. And I get it. I'm right there with you sometimes. It's hard to keep the energy up for a team that really has no hope this season. It's hard for the fans. I'm sure it's hard for the players. And it's hard for broadcasters and podcasters. Listen, my entire life is built on high energy. And with a team that's rebuilding and has a conservative game plan and doesn't provide explosive plays, It's hard to bounce off the walls for anything. But I'm going to try to be patient because, quite frankly, what else is there? We'll be back with more Buffon 55 right after this. Ellis Hall, since I came here, has been expanded twice. Both times after we were gone, by the way. So (laughs) we never never got it. I mean, it was tiny. Do do you think that uh, Olin Krutz would politely ask you to leave the weight room because it was so crowded? <laughs> you, of I told you what Olin. I told you what Olin used to say to me. I know that's why I'm asking. <laughs> no, and and that was at five o'clock when there's you know there's no players around. <laughs> oh, Olin is Gabriel, so- get the f- out of my weight room. <laughs> Oh, and I go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I got a commercial. <laughs> Welcome back to Buffone 55. It's time for a segment we call Buffone's Basement. That's when Alyssa and I. Sound the trumpet and try to wake up that old curmudgeon, Aldo Gondia, part of the barroom network. Aldo, you awake? How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Uh, Arif is fantastic. Every time he's on the show, it's it's just such a joy. He gives such a precise breakdown. And then you guys with the, your B55 segment, outstanding as over. As, as always, and I'm, I apologize ahead of time that I'm going to ruin the rest of the show. Well, <laughs> we're Bears fans. We're used to disappointment. So we appreciate <laughs> being on. Uh, uh, let's start with some of the concerns because we, we talked, Alyssa and I talked about this uh, to some extent in the B55 segment. But although I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. 2022 was supposed to be the the big developmental year for Justin Fields. This was whenever he was going to get in Luke Getze's offense. He was going to learn it and he was going to take some, he was going to make strides. And then next year, man, it's going to just, you know, hopefully take the league by storm. That was, you know, that was the, the golden scenario here. But now with 2022, the way that it's unfolding with the Bears game plan and what's going on with the weapons and the offensive line and the pass protection, do you think 2022 could actually be detrimental to him? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, there's nothing worse for a young quarterback than to uh, be pummeled uh, and not feel comfortable in the pocket when there is a pocket. He's not feeling comfortable in the pocket because of you know, a lack of trust in the team. And it's funny that at today's press conference, he was asked a question 
you know, what are the takeaways that you can take from, from this last game that you can build on? And he said there were, uh, I'm paraphrasing, there were a few times where the protection was good. So in other words, he's saying most of the time it's pretty bad. Um, the other thing, and I want to show you something that has transpired. One of the big plays in Sunday's game was this miss by Justin Fields. The play was four verts, four wide receivers on the team, and all of them going vertical down the field. And Justin Fields missed a wide open Darnell Mooney over the middle. Now, um, I've added some graphics on here to help with the explanation because there's some football jargon here. So I'm going to play Darnell Mooney's explanation and then Justin Fields' explanation, and then we can talk about it on the other end. That's where it comes like a hassle of just like trying to learn the playbook so much. Um, so last year we had that play call as well. It's called special. And um, number three, like if you see cover two or whatever, you can split up the seam. And um, that's, that's how it was last year. But we had the same name, same play, and I was thinking of I had two, two on one page, and I'm supposed to be more so to the right of the, the top safety, uh, the right side safety. And um, that's where he was looking for me at. Yeah, Mooney ran the, uh, how we ran that play last year. So um, the number three receiver, if we get that coverage, he would take the middle of the field last year. But this year, we're getting over uh, to the other side of it, like it would be two out of two, and then just hitting that same uh, landmark from three by one. But uh, that play, that coverage, um, mo most likely thinking, you know, one on one with the back check down. And of course, me scrambling. Uh, so I was just doing what I was told. I think that's an example of everyone getting it wrong. Darnell Mooney misinterprets the play because he thought it was last year's play. The coaching staff not making a more distinguishable that this is the same play, but it's a different call. So we don't want you to confuse it with last year. Uh, Justin Fields for not ad-libbing and seeing that he's got a wide open receiver down the middle of the field. The offensive line, although the protection was good there, but as we've been talking about, the protection doesn't allow him for a level of confidence where he'll stay in the pocket and find that freelancing wide receiver down the middle of the field wide open. I mean, there's a lot of blame to go around, and I'm worried that Justin Fields is going to be the uh, the the biggest victim out of all of these miscues. Yeah, uh, regardless, I mean, like you, I think everyone's at fault for that, and 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 I think it goes from the from the players on the field to the coordinator because let's let's not let's not just throw away the fact that this is a first time offensive coordinator. Maybe I, I'm not sure. First time play caller, I I, I believe as well. So everyone is learning on the job right now. And Justin Fields is learning a, a, a new system with a guy who's trying to install this system, who's never really been in charge. Because let's just face it, he's in charge of the offense. And Matt Eberflus isn't really putting his touch on the offense. That's for that's for sure. So this is Luke Getze's offense. And so uh there's there's blame to go all around. Let's but let's not forget that he did pick up the first down on the scramble that was that was a plus he did he did scramble for 10 yards now a touchdown would have been way better <laughs> but uh, uh but i i think that this is another one of those situations where it's just everyone's on the wrong page <laughs> everyone everyone uh is not gelling yet and you can chalk that up to growing pains and chalk that up to the situation you're hoping by midway through the year at the end of the year that stuff doesn't happen anymore uh, and it did. I mean, it didn't lead to a fumble or an interception or anything like that. But you're hoping that those plays turn into seven at some point. And so, 
I got, I'm, this is a cheap way out, but I'm reserving the right to watch this team in week 12 and 13 to see if that actually happens, as opposed to saying this is broken, it's never going to be fixed. Uh, but, 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 it's, but right now, it needs addressed. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Yeah, and interesting enough, uh, backup uh, offensive lineman Michael Schofield ran a similar scheme in Denver, and during the preseason, he said that like when they were installing it, it took like things were messy, and it took about four to five weeks for it to kind of come together, though I don't think it was as messy as this has been for the Bears. So you are holding out hope that, you know, down the season, you know, as the season goes on, that they find their footing there. But there needs to be a game where they really find their footing, like like where it's like a nice stepping stone. And like this, this Vikings defense, I mean, like Arif was saying, you know, there are opp- opportunities downfield. But again, with Justin Fields not feeling confident in that pocket or in some of the guys maybe outside Darnell Mooney, I mean, it, it's hard to expect that that's going to happen, but there are opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you bring up Schofield, and that, that just makes me think of the offensive line. And <laughs> if we were concerned about the offensive line before, how concerned are we now? Because it looks like what Lucas Patrick's going to be kicked over to left guard. Uh, and then Mustafer stays at center and then Jenkins at, at right guard. Uh how do we feel about this new lineup of the offensive line? Now, granted, there's not a high bar to eclipse, but how are we feeling? Because but but they can run the ball. Let's 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 not forget that they can run the ball. But how do we feel about this new hodgepodge kind of offense? Alyssa, I'll start with you. Not good, John. Uh, <laughs> definitely not. Um, I mean, Cody White here, I think, was obviously the, the best offensive lineman uh, that they had out there. And, of course, he goes down with an injury. But I am encouraged that now we'll get to see Tevin Jenkins get a full game at right guard. So that's reassuring. But Lucas Patrick just hasn't looked good at guard this season, and whether it's on the left or the right side. And Sam Mustafer, I, I was going through pro football focus grades, and I thought I'd misread something. And I was looking at like his run blocking and his pass protection – Guess what he got in pass protection, what his grade was? Couldn't even tell you. F negative. 1.5 out of 100. (laughs) 1.5. I was like, oh, I don't know. You can't get much worse than that. It's just. I'm no mathematician, (laughs) but that seems bad. (laughs) I've never seen anything that low ever on PFF, ever. Yeah, it's, it's you know, and everybody is talking about let's get Mustafa out of lineup, let's put Patrick in at center. Is it really going to be any better at all? And a, a lot of people have been calling for Dieter Iceland. And now I'm sort of jumping on that bandwagon. You know, he's on the bench. Why not give him a try? Because what is out there is unacceptable. And I know that there is a certain chemistry between center and quarterback that's very difficult to replicate. And that's probably a big reason why Mustafa – is in there for Justin Fields. But if he's in there and they got chemistry, but uh, what's that chemistry Fields doing? Is getting the, exactly. Exactly. Up? So, yeah. Yeah. That, they've got to find some answers and it's not going to be easy, uh, but they've got to find some answers because the, this quarterback that you inherited is is being damaged. And if, if I could just do one more thing quickly here on yesterday's uh, show, um, the Dan and Aldo show we had on coach T and I showed him a scouting report from the NFL.com that uh, was published just months before Justin Fields uh, being drafted. And here are some of his weaknesses. He's got considerable uh, uh, strengths, 
but we need to focus on the weaknesses and the things to correct, right? Well, needs to improve uh, pocket mobility for clean launch points. That's still a problem. Below average feel for edge pressure, still a problem. Field vision is average in face of the blitz, still a problem. Missed open blitz beaters in the middle of the field against uh, Indiana, still a problem in some cases. Gradual operation time prevents, I can go through this whole list, guys, this whole list, and every single one of them, with the exception of one, is still a problem. So the question is, is why? Are we 15 games into his starting NFL career? And all of the problems that he exhibited at Ohio State are still a problem in the pros. And there is one clear and obvious answer. That answer is, why did you allow your, your general manager, Ryan Pace, to draft the quarterback? He should have been fired. There should have been a new a GM to rebuild this team so that this poor guy isn't learning his second professional offense and is having to sit through this misery of of not having skilled players at the wide receiver position and not having adequate pass protection no i agree because the like i i have said this on numerous occasions but the stars never seem to align at the same time with the chicago bears where it's just you look at trubisky they hired him with john fox for a lame duck year and he was under uh oh my god i can't even remember his name run run pass uh, who who was the offensive coordinator for uh, John Fox? Uh, Lau Doggins. Yeah, I said Lau Doggins. Might as well be. Uh, but uh, but um, it's one of those things where you draft the quarterback and then boom, coach is gone, new system. Okay, you, you let Paste uh, and Nagy go and get fields. Boom, they're gone. New system, new coach, new new GM, new uh, uh, system. So it, it's 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 the same old thing where you just don't allow all three phases to align at the same time. The GM, the coach, and the quarterback. You're never allowing them to come in at the same time and grow together. So you're you're just kind of throwing it patchwork in there. And and what that does is, how many times can you change a system? Because look at uh, guys like. Alex Smith, who had like what five coordinators in five years in the first year in the first couple of years in the NFL, and he eventually turned it around, but he needed the stability uh, of Harbaugh to come in, and then he came in and he turned into a Pro Bowl quarterback. So mm-hmm. your surroundings are just as important as your skill set, and I'm not just talking about your wide receivers and your offensive line, but your the organization in which you're drafted is huge. So uh, I like that the Lyle Doggins made somebody laugh. That's good because I was I completely I forgot his name. Uh, but uh, but it's really unfortunate that you we keep seeing this this cyclical thing uh, happen in Chicago. And you're I I love the potential of Justin Fields and I love the talent the raw talent. Um, but it's just not it's not a fair hand right now. I, I get that. I get that it's not. And PZ may be right. Maybe maybe Justin Fields isn't really that good. But can PZ say that, oh, well, he's got all the weapons. He's got everything he needs to succeed. PZ can't say that. Nobody. Nobody can. Anything about uh, football football what Miami did for Tua. They go, they yeah. get Jalen Waddle. They get, uh, they go out and they get an offensive coach in McDaniel. They get Tyreek Hill. They surround this guy with weapons. And he was until obviously he's not in right now because of the, 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 the brain injuries, which is an entire different subject. But uh, he was flourishing in that because they put him in a good, they put him in a good surrounding uh, mm-hmm. and they, and they commit themselves. Now 
granted that they, they the organization before that was like, oh, they're in on Deshaun Watson or, or they're having backdoor meetings to get Tom Brady to buy the half the team and then play for them. But uh, this year they were all in with them. They, they put all this said, Now it's on you. And, and the, the Bears don't have that situation where they can go to Justin Fields and say, now it's on you. Because we get you, we got you all the receivers you need. We got you all the protection you need. Uh, we we got we got the the offensive lines in place. It's on you to make this work. They they can't say that they've done that. That it's impossible to say that they've done that. So I'm eager to see what they do in the off season. I don't think you're going to see another draft where they go DB uh, and defensive player one and two again because it's just you can't ignore the the just raw deficiencies with this team and it's it's going to be a lineman and a receiver or a receiver and receiver or something of that nature because they need help they need explosive plays and they need a stable offensive line uh they just don't have it right now so it's it's they i i'm hoping and i know the hope and the patience thing does not work well with bears fans and why should it and it hasn't happened in four decades the patience has not paid off but I'm hoping that after this season, where they're going to they're be in a much better position to succeed. And but I can the Dolphins have the perfect blueprint too for that, like you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. If you really want to see what you, what Justin Fields has, and I think we'll see that next year too. And I mean, they have a whole bunch of money to play with. So uh, sorry to interrupt you all. The- <laughs> no, no, no. It was uh, your turn to speak. I, I apologize, apologize for interrupting you. I was just going to say that you know I appreciate Ryan Poe's, uh sticking to his board. You know he he's he talked about it prior to the draft. We are going to uh, treat our board like it's solemn, but at the same time, you do have to account for the fact that you've got a young quarterback and you need to protect him. So maybe you you need to trade up or trade down and collect more assets, and you don't pick that cornerback or safety, and you do add more picks and pick an offensive lineman that can help your quarterback stay healthy. There, there should have been more. And he clearly lowballed the Buffalo Bills offensive lineman. I'm not even sure he's the, he's worthy of more dollars, but there should have been more by Ryan Poles to dedicate to his quarterback. I totally understand the approach. I totally respect the approach. But at the same time, what we're seeing now is a quarterback in danger of having a poor NFL career because the psychological scars and the physical scars that he's enduring are just not fair to him. Yeah, and it's kind of like what I said Ryan Poles was doing before, where it's just like collecting a bunch of $1 scratch-offs and just hoping a few of them hit. And I, and now it's the worst-case scenario because – Byron Pringle is not going to work out. Um, and some of the, the low-end uh, guys you bring in for the system, they may be the type of athlete you want, the quick athletic linemen that you think fit this system, but they're not doing what they should be doing in pass protection. Uh, and, and all of these low-end one-year deals are not paying dividends. So uh, it's it's just probably the worst-case scenario for Poles. I understand and I respect the plan because he's going to say, we're going to completely just – eat this season we're going to eat all this dead cap they're still paying khalil mack and still paying all those guys that i rattled off in the in the couple uh segments before or maybe it was still in the segment it's a long show i don't know uh but <laughs> all these guys that they're paying uh this year is so i know that the emphasis is probably on 2023 gosh you're you're, you're just hoping it's not the expense of your high draft capital quarterback that you moved up for mm-hmm. 
So, <laughs> the, 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 yeah. So that's uh, that's 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 really promising. Wait a keep it keep it lively, John. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's that, that high energy I keep speaking <laughs> of. Uh, although I did want to get your, I wanted to get your opinion on Kyler Gordon too, because Alyssa and I talked about it in B fifty five, and uh, you've mentioned it on Bear Football and a couple other shows that maybe the Bears are asking too much of him. Uh, is this a guy you still have a lot of confidence in, uh, but maybe they're just asking him to do too much? Yeah, there's been uh, uh, people who I respect to have put up tape on Kyler Gordon and have praised his play or his skills and his capabilities and his athleticism enough for me to forgive what we have seen on the football field so far. We got to remember that he missed some time in training camp, and therefore that's always going to help uh, or hinder the development of a young player. But I do believe that there are certain things that defensive coaches could do to help him out a little bit. And having him play those two positions, the slot and the outside, might be too much for him. Um, but overall, I still have a lot of confidence in Kyler Gordon, and I really do think he's going to turn out to be a, a heck of a player. Listen, you got. I think we're, we were kind of on the same page there where it's just you – know, it's pretty early <laughs> to, yeah. to be like this guy's a bust. But I honestly think – that it wouldn't it wouldn't be this big of a talking point if they didn't have such offensive deficiencies because the number one argument is well we guys we could have had George Pickens or we could have drafted an offensive player at that position but we took a cornerback and look he's not setting the world on fire so not only is he battling some of the you know the defensive pressures that he's under that he, he's being criticized for but what big argument is hey we could have had somebody else on the offensive side of the ball but we chose you and so I think that that's that's a, a big talking point there is because I think a lot of fans are like, man, look at how bad the receivers are. We could have got somebody to at least help out there. It's not like they didn't take a receiver. They took a, they took a receiver in the third round. He just <laughs> hasn't been able to play. He hasn't been able to get on the field. Uh, which hey, what are your early returns on Bayless Jones, guys? What do you think? What do you, what do you think about him? <laughs> Go ahead. We're early to know. <laughs> I mean, he, he wasn't out there on offense. So, I mean, I'd like to see him obviously a little bit more involved, whether they're kind of playing it, you know, on the safe side with him coming back from the hamstring injury. But I mean, he showed that he, he's got the speed and playmaking ability. I mean, he, muffing that punt, that's not, that's not going to help him, but it's not going to make or break his career. I mean, he, he's a young kid. I mean, God, he's a young 25 year old kid. Wow. Um, <laughs> so there's been plenty of time for him to, I, I mean, I'm excited to see more of him. It's hard to kind of go off of one game where he was exclusively on special teams, but I mean, we'll see. I mean, if Bayless develops into a, a really solid receiver for this team and for Justin Fields, then we look back, I mean, it's like the revisionist theory, you know, like, like, right, looking back, okay, yeah, could have had George Pickens instead of Kyler Gordon, but if Bayless Jones ends up panning out, then we're not really having that conversation. Right. Yeah, you need, you need to see him Sunday uh, on the football field when the, uh, the, the offense has the ball. You, you have to script out two or three plays for him, some bubble screens, get the ball on his in his hands and let him show us what he can do with that speed. And you throw him out there on special teams again, and don't worry about it. He made a mistake. Uh, Darnell Mooney said, this guy's going to score a lot of touchdowns for us. He's going to be fine, and I'm going to take Darnell's word on that. Somebody's calling me. <laughs> Aldo, are you, are you broadcasting from a 1995 insurance office? I haven't heard that. Uh, I haven't heard that kind of ring. You have a landline? Sometimes. Is that, yeah. You have a landline? Oh my I've God. I've been telling my wife for 10 years, let's get rid of our landline. And she goes, you never know. We might need an emergency. 
This yeah. is the first time I picked Someone up. Someone might need phone. to call you when you're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Answering a landline during a podcast. Well, isn't that a generation that's just colliding right there? Thank you for calling Barroom Insurance. How may yeah. I help you? How may I help you? Uh, so, uh, a couple more things here, guys. We, I talked about what a rebuild meant to me and how it's hard to have patience and how we understand what it is. And it's frustrating because maybe the way they're losing rather than the fact that they are losing. Um, Aldo, you've been through plenty of rebuilds. You've been through plenty of bad seasons, more so. And it's hard to believe, but more so than Alyssa and I have been through. Combined. Com yeah, combined. So... In your experience, when you have a season like this, what is the right mentality to have <laughs> whenever whenever you know the Bears weren't really going to compete for anything this year, but man, it still is not pretty to watch. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. You know, you want it to at least be pretty to watch. And yeah. So I, I, I highly recommend that you look at this season as a building block. And if you can't do it that way, because you're such an ardent fan and you demand instant gratification, you need victories now, then I suggest that you take up reading or golf or something. I don't know. Maybe fools, but I don't know about that either. It's like way less stressful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really, it's the only way that I have uh, been a fan this long is always trying to find the positives. Um, you know, the team is playing hard. Uh, during the Dave Wanstead era, I, I used to tell my friends, yeah, but the team is playing hard. And they would make fun of me and stuff. But those are the things that I look for. And I know that's not going to work for everybody else. But I, I'm, I'm hoping that we see some individual improvement from, from player to player to player. And that there is enough here for Ryan Pose to then in 2023 add to and that we can get back into the playoffs i mean and this is still a two and two uh team they've got a long season ahead i'm not making any promises of course that they're going to be in playoff contention but you never know maybe maybe some of these guys like uh people have been talking about carter the offensive lineman maybe he's given an opportunity and then all of a sudden he looks like he's an offensive lineman for the future so there are things to look forward to but I do think that by the time December comes along, I, I would tell your spouse you're going to go out there and do some Christmas shopping with them on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, Sunday's not going to be a must-see TV towards <laughs> December and January. <laughs> I won't have that luxury. <laughs> True. None of us will, really. No, we yeah. Will. yeah, we won't. Yeah. <laughs> what does it mean to you, Alyssa? Because you're kind of in the same age range as me where it's just like we we've been through some bad seasons and we're tired of waiting and it's just like i think i saw i saw this uh i saw it in the chat room and i wish i would have started but it was we're trying to you know microwave this slow cooked meal kind of thing where we're trying to we're trying to hurry up and get what why why isn't it already 2023 and why aren't the bears great right now we we know what we want why isn't it there right now and so is it is it just a case of patience yeah, I mean, I, I even kind of look back to the first week and how they beat the 49ers and it kind of altered expectations, at least for a week, where it's like, okay, well, hey, they beat this, you know, playoff caliber 49ers team. So, hey, watch out. Maybe things aren't as bad as we thought they were. And then, you know, obviously they're playing in a monsoon. Uh, they lost uh, their starting running back. And I mean, Bears really benefited in that game. But then Green Bay comes along and you're kind of just right back, crash right back down to earth and 
really realize the realistic expectations of this season. Like Aldo was mentioning, this is a season that should be about the development of these young players on the roster. And a lot of those one-year deals that Ryan Pohl signed, is there any future talent there, right? Are you going to sign any of these guys through extensions? Can you build off this? So, I mean, this is a season that, I mean, Matty Berflus' job is safe. Ryan Pohl's job is safe. They're not winning games this season. Like, they're not going to be playoff contenders. And that's okay, because that's we're in the middle of a rebuild. But like you were saying, John, I mean, we, <laughs> what do we have? We had 06 and, and 18, right? I mean, it was, it. Yeah. It, it's been brutal. So, like, being a fan and really not getting to, you see teams like the Patriots, franchises like the Patriots, who they've done a lot of winning, and you're just sitting here like, when is it our turn? Because we put in a lot of patience, a lot of a lot of hard work, a lot of fandom, and it's just it's frustrating. But at the same time, you had like Ryan Poles had to come in, tear it down in order to build it back up because Ryan Pace left a mess behind. Yeah. Oh, well, we, we we tend to forget that they were in the NFC Championship game. What was that 2010? 2010. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the the Caleb Haney game. We sometimes gloss over that. Maybe subconsciously we don't want to remember that. Uh, but it, but sure. but we've really had like what three real solid years. And even the the solid year we're talking about 2018 when they won the division, they lied. They didn't win a playoff game. So that, that that's that's one of the ones that we're chalking up to that. Uh, one thing I will say is that. I am interested to see what they do in the offseason because, as we've said numerous times on this show, the free agent list at receiver sucks. So uh, I would imagine they're going to spend some draft capital on a receiver or try to move some mid-round picks, multiple mid-round picks to trade for somebody who's disgruntled somewhere else. I keep saying Mike Evans just because I assume Tom Brady's not going to be in Tampa Bay next year. Uh, and, and maybe maybe they tra- maybe they trade for someone of that caliber. I don't know. I have no information on that. I'm just hoping against hope that they could maybe bring somebody in. So maybe they would have someone like a Mike Evans-type quality with a high-end draft pick with Darnell Mooney and Bayless Jones. That sounds nice. That mm-hmm. sounds good. And then whatever they can maybe get out of Nikhil Harris. If he if he comes back to play and shows some promise, maybe he's the other guy. And then all of a sudden you have a pretty formidable wide receiving core that you redo in a year. Um, that's the hope that we have. Now, is that going to happen? I have no idea, <laughs> but we're, we're at least hoping that. So uh, the last thing I do want to talk about before we get out of here is let's talk about the actual game because we are previewing a game against the Vikings. What would it take for you to say that, that this was a productive game? I'm not going to say that the Bears are going to win, but to try to avoid how we felt after the Giants game, what has to happen for you to come out feeling a little bit better? Uh, Alyssa, I'll start with you on this one. I mean, I think it's going to be all of our answers, but Justin Fields shows some kind of progress here and the passing game kind of get kind of gets up and running. But I mean, it's kind of hard to have confidence in that, but I mean, that's what we all want to see. That's what this season is about because we're not expecting them to go far. You really want to see, especially because of how we've seen Justin Fields be in these first four games and he just kind of looks disheartened and he has no confidence. He's missing that swagger that he had at times last year. And this is a game where you'd love to see it come back, especially against a divisional rival like Minnesota, who, I mean, they are three and one, but, you know, like they've gotten off to a bit of a slow start to on offense and their defense, you know, has its weaknesses and can be beaten. And, you know, you, you really hope obviously to see that fields takes a step forward. And I mean, I would like to see the run defense, like kind of do something against Alvin cook. I mean, like, you know, the Vikings aren't, haven't run the ball as much. They are past happy, but this is a game where, 
you're, you're going to run it because the Bears defense can't stop anybody. So, I mean, you want to see improvement in tackling. That's been a big issue with this. So, I mean, but the number one thing I think for me and for everyone is going to be that field shows some kind of progress. Uh, you want to see him hit, hit, hit some of those throws. You don't want to see the receivers streaking wide open and, and fields not even seeing them. So, I mean, we'll see. But that's going to be like, I, if this is the question every week, that's going to be my answer every week. It probably is going to be the question every week. Yeah. <laughs> Aldo, what about you? Well, you know, it, it, as miserable as last week's game was, we did see some improvement. We saw some sustained drives. Their very first drive was a 10-play drive. Unfortunately, they weren't successful in the red zone. Their second drive was a six-play drive. Uh, unfortunately, six plays in 77 yards, and the first drive was 65 yards. Unfortunately, in that second drive, they weren't successful in the red zone. On, on the third drive, a 10-play drive, 53 yards. Unfortunately, there was a fumble. Um, and uh, the fourth drive was terrible. The fifth drive was seven-play drive, uh, and they got a field goal because, again, uh, the red zone problem. So you want to see them improve on that. You want to see them get to 75% uh, conversion of their red zone, but also continue that trend of now being able to move the chains. They, they showed some ability to do that against the Giants, and that's a good thing. And then also continue to build on the uh, play in the second half. This defense is not allowed a touchdown all season long all season long in the second half. So let's continue that and really button down because that's why this team has had an opportunity to win at the end of every game at the, in the second half, in the fourth quarter, they've gotten it closest because the defense has held. And so you don't want to see them regress on that point and put Justin Fields in this offense down by a couple of touchdowns like they were against green Bay and, and not having an opportunity to, to uh, make a game out of it. Yeah, and, and for me, it's 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 as simple as just saying score some touchdowns. I, I think that you just not get in the end zone. And I think I, I feel like I've been saying this for the past four years. But if the if the if the field was only eighty yards, the Bears would be pretty good. But the problem is it's a hundred yards, and so they they need to be able to put the ball in the end zone. And you need to see some production from the quarterback, whether it's through rolling out on bootlegs or what have you. Uh, you just need to see something. You need, I need something to grab onto because that was such an uninspiring performance all around last week that I had nothing to hold on to. I had nothing to come out of that game and say, yeah, but this looked really good. I, I just did not have any of that. And I need something. I need something to come out of this game to say that took a step forward. That looked better this week. I can't. We can't go through another game where it's just like, well, they had a really conservative game plan and everyone didn't play very well. Like I, I can't can't do that anymore. I, I need whether they win or lose. I need some aspect of this team to look like it got better. And if the, if we can do that, and preferably the quarterback, but I'll take anything at this point. Uh, so if they, and I saw I saw a, a comment in there says don't let Kirk Cousins run a bootleg for a touchdown. That's okay. <laughs> if they do that, then I'm going to be really That's upset. So if we can keep Kirk Cousins. You know, he's because you know he's really fleet of foot. If we can keep him out from running for a touchdown, that would be great. Uh, so I just, I just need to see an improvement by something, something that is that I'm. So we're not having this exact same conversation, having the exact same show, having the exact same talking points as we're having right now, and we could be having. You know, we've had for the last two or three weeks. We need something. So hopefully, that'll happen. Alyssa, you should have seen John last week at on oh, man. 
He was so tranquil. It was like he had taken quaaludes or something. I, 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 it's it's hard. Aldo, you know I'm a high energy guy. I need I'm like high octane. Oh, gotta be gotta be just intense. How am I supposed to be intense about that? How am I supposed to be intense when nothing happened? Like, what am I supposed to be, like, just bouncing off the walls? Nothing happened. It's the most boring game, and they lost. Like, like, I don't know how I'm supposed to just raise the roof, throw my computer through through the window. Like, am I supposed to be screaming and yelling where it's just like, this was a boring game. This is a boring team. This is a bad team. Like what? A, I, I, I guess I can keep trying to lather myself up like I'm doing right now to try to jumpstart myself, but I only got so much gas in the tank, Aldo. It's a long season. I'm running on E already. Help me out here. Get me something to get excited about, for God's sakes. All right. Oh, my God. Now I it's like you it. almost wish they were bad. <laughs> that game's yeah. like something to get upset about. Just like, no. They could lose by 20, but if Justin Fields throws for 300 yards and two touchdowns, that's at least something to grasp onto. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Be- listen, before we get out of here, because I'm spent now, I, I, I gave I gave you everything I had. I, I left it all on the field for you, Aldo. Thank um, you. <laughs> before we close things out, Aldo, tell us about the 5,000 shows we have on the network this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you just a couple. How's that? Uh, tomorrow, Greg and I are back on. Uh, we had to reschedule a couple of things this week, but he's back on. We're going to look at some tape. We're going to talk about that loss and look forward mm-hmm. to this next game against the Vikings. Uh, I want to ask Greg about what he, what he meant when he tweeted out after that Bears game that you can blame this loss on the offensive play calling. So I know that he's gone back and looked at the game, so I want to see if he still holds true to that. Uh, we are not doing the Bear debate uh, next week because I got a personal commitment uh, tomorrow, but then uh, don't worry about it this weekend. On Sunday, as in one of our ads you saw, we've got wall-to-wall programming starting early in the morning, the early Bear special with Mike North and myself. Mike gives out a couple of winners. He's been on a hot streak lately, so it, if you're a gambler, tune in. If you're not a gambler, tune in because Mike has a, is a great storyteller, has lots of laughs. And then the Barfly Tailgate Show immediately afterwards four or excuse me uh five very passionate bears fans talking football and i'm sure there's going to be a lot of f-bombs in that so if you are anywhere near a church or, or <laughs> place of place, don't put the volume up <laughs> and roll those uh, windows up <laughs> exactly <laughs> fantasy football goon uh follow so if you're a fantasy football player tune into that show uh joe mandel and adam chom do a great job of getting you ready for your fantasy football sunday and then of course it's bear football so um and i'll let john talk about that Alyssa what do you got five million articles I'm guessing <laughs> yeah, yeah. A- a- as usual you know six million now okay uh yeah but <laughs> getting you ready for Sunday's game over at bearswire.com not that it's going to make you feel any better about this matchup coming up but we're being honest keeping it honest I mean keeping it realistic expectations but yeah you can catch uh my stuff at, and my great team stuff over at bearswire.com Excellent. And as Aldo was alluding to, right after the game, Bear Football, myself, Danny Shimon, and Tyler Gaines Ellis with Aldo in the background, giving raw emotions, win, lose, or draw against the Vikings. We will go on as soon as this as soon as the scoreboard hits triple zeros. We will go live on the air to take your comments and questions and give our reactions and listen to the press conferences of Matt Eberflus and maybe uh, usually it's Justin Fields, but whoever is a top contributor to the game will go to that as well. And then next week. 
we just we just we decided that we're just doing this tonight, but we're, we're at next week. <laughs> instead of Buffon 55 being on Wednesday night because the Bears play on Thursday night, they host the Commanders, and we're gonna have a special Buffon 55 pregame show leading up to kickoff on Thursday night. We'll go over all the stuff that we like to go over here on Buffone 55, but we're going to do it right up until kickoff. We're going to get you all excited. We're going to get you all lathered up whenever you're going to watch that game on Amazon Prime or wherever you're going to watch it. Uh, we will get you ready here on the Barroom Network. Buffone 55 and a special Thursday night edition next week. That should be fun. But until we get to that point, that will do it for this edition of Buffone 55. For Aldo Gondi and Alyssa Barbieri, I'm John Buffone. We'll see you next week, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.